Uh, today we're going to talk about Jesus being a radical. And I think what I want to say to you is we want to raise up radicals for Jesus Christ. We want to raise up people that are not just going to do church, not just going to do Christianity or religion, but really take serious the claims of Christ so that in a way that, that you, it's just uniquely you, you are impacting and changing the world around you one person at a time. I want to tell you a story about a man by, whose name is Surprise. Now that might seem like an unusual name, but he was born in a small village in Mozambique, Africa. And when he was born, he was born with uh, all dark hair and a white patch of hair. And his parents looked at him, and they were so surprised to see that, that they named him Surprise. So he carries the name Surprise. Well, Surprise grew up in a home where his father was a witch doctor. His grandfather was a witch doctor. And so that was a part of his whole life. He didn't know anything else. He was sleeping one night, he was 15 years old, and all of a sudden he heard a voice and it said, surprise, get out of your house now. And he thought he was dreaming, but he felt like he was awake, and so he just kind of closed his eyes and didn't think much about it. Surprise, get out of your house now, if you don't, you're going to die. He said it was so overwhelming to him that he didn't know what to do other than to get up and leave. So he left his home and he began walking out of the village and he stopped by his friend uh, to tell him that he was leaving and even ask him if he would go with him. So as he stopped there and he, he sto spoke to Gephar, he said, would you come with me? I'm leaving. Why are you leaving? I heard a voice. He said the interesting thing was he never questioned whether or not the voice was legitimate. He never said, oh, you shouldn't do that or you shouldn't leave home. He said, what did the voice say? He said, get out because you're going to die if you stay. So he began to wander off away from that village, off into the jungle, and it was a frightening experience for him, 14 days trying to make his way through that jungle. At one point, he looked and said, we should go home. Gephar admitted that he thought we should go home too, and they tried to make their way back, but they were totally disoriented in the jungle, and they could not make their way back. So they kept pressing on further and further they went, until finally they looked and they saw a village. And as they saw the village, they saw an old man standing outside the village. And they walked up to the old man, and he said to them, I'm glad you boys are finally here. I've been waiting for you. And they were so alarmed by what he said, they said, what do you mean? He says, well, God told me in a dream that I would meet two boys at the edge of the jungle. They would be exhausted and I should invite them in to live at my place and take care of them and teach them about the true God. Well, you can imagine what that experience must have been like for surprise. But they were hungry and they were tired and they would have taken any help at that particular time in their life. So they went in, and he took care of them. They loved him, and he went in, and the first thing he said to his wife, these are the two boys I told you about in the dream, and they're finally here. I don't know why it took them so long, but they're here now. So he took care of them, and he began to tell them about Jesus Christ. They'd never heard about Jesus. They'd never seen a Bible, read a Bible, and they didn't know anyone who was a Christian. So as he began to tell them about Jesus, it's surprised that he began to cry. He began to cry and he said, I want this Jesus so bad. Can, you, can I have this Jesus? How do I get this Jesus? And so he told him how he could 
become a believer in faith in Christ. And so he and Gephar both became Christians in that moment. And they began to, to, their faith began to be vitalized, and they went into the, the little town next door, uh, next to that village, and they began to talk to someone, and they asked him about the village that they had left. And they said, well, don't go back there. And he says, what do you mean don't go back there? Well, there was a rival witch doctor in another village, and he rallied the whole village against that village, and they went in there, and everybody in the village is dead. Surprise has not been back to his village in 25 years. There was no reason to go back. His mother, his father, his family, everyone in the village was killed on that night. It made him into a radical for Jesus Christ. He was so aware of the presence of God and the power of God that he began to live out his faith in a real and viable way. Still just going on what people told him about Jesus and the stories that people told him about Jesus. Never yet at this point even reading the Bible. But he knew that God had, had called him to do something and he began to go village to village preaching about Jesus. He didn't know much, but what he did know he would tell them. He would go into a village and he would tell them about Jesus and he would see someone who was sick and he would say, you seem to be sick. Uh, is there anything I can do? Would you pray for me? And he had simple faith. He hadn't seen anything uh, like we've seen in TV. We haven't read anything in a book. He didn't even have a Bible. And all he knew to do was to go over and lay his hand on someone and say, God, just bless this person, please. And people were being saved. Whole villages were coming to faith in Christ. It's an amazing movement of God. Pastor Surprise lives in Mozambique today, and he oversees... 15,000 churches, most of whom he is responsible for starting. That's what you call radical Christianity. If your experience with God has not made you radical, I want you to go back and revisit that initial moment when you met Jesus Christ and ask yourself this, what went wrong? What did I miss in the process? Or were you radical then? And you just allowed your life to adjust to Christianity, American style. What we want to do is look into the Word of God, see what Jesus said about Christianity. What did he really say about living out your faith and being radical? So if you take your Bibles, we'll look together in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, and here's what it says. Jesus said to them, now what's interesting about this, this transition right here, he's already said to them, I give you the keys to the kingdom. He's already predicted his death, and Peter has said, I'm not going to let you go through with that, and he said, get behind me, Satan. In other words, don't try to stop the plan of God. Jesus said unto his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, now notice what Jesus does. He uses this very, this very basic instinct that all of us have. We have desires. We desire relationships. We desire love. We desire uh, a vacation. We desire whatever. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. In other words, that desire doesn't go anywhere unless I deny myself. Unless I can look at myself, unless I can take what, what is important to me and set it on the sidelines and embrace Jesus Christ, I cannot follow him. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, 
and follow me. You notice the order here. I have to deny myself, then I can take up my cross, then I can follow him. I can't be a follower if I don't deny and I don't take up the cross. The cross is not a burden you carry. The cross is something you die on. You give up your right to live your life your way. And you say, it's going to be about Jesus and not about me. Now that doesn't mean that God relegates you to a life of despair and discouragement. Just the opposite. It's a life of freedom. Because the things of this world, they tend to bind us up. They tend to bring us down. And we carry the weight of them. And we say, I just wish I could be free of this. There's only freedom in Christ. The Bible says he who the sun sets free is free indeed. So go on with me in the scripture and look what it says in verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So if I'm all about preservation, if I'm all about me, if I'm all about taking care of my stuff, then I just lost all my stuff. Because I spend my life trying to protect me. I'm worried about my reputation. I'm worried about what people think. I'm worried about how much I have in the bank and how much that costs and what you ask of me in my time and all of those other things because I'm about self-preservation. If I try to save my life, if I try to hold on to it too tightly, it will slip between my fingers. And I don't mean you die. I don't mean that. I mean you lose that vibrancy of God in your life. And Jesus doesn't become the powerful, real force in your life that he wants to be, that you want him to be. It says, so what will it profit? What profit is it if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul? So if I could get everything, if I could save everything, if I could put my arms around my world as big as my world can get, but it costs me my soul, what would be the profit in the end? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each one according to his works. So I'm not rewarded because I'm a Christian. I'm rewarded what I, because of what I do as a Christian. You see the difference there? The reward doesn't come, oh, because you profess faith in Christ, you get a reward. No reward for that. That was a free gift. There is always, always unmerited favor when it comes from God in salvation. But there is never unmerited rewards. Those are earned. Those are stored up in heaven. Those are, those are just hammered out on the daily grind of living for Jesus Christ. Jesus knows what you and I really want. Think about this thought. Jesus knows what you really want. If I would do a little survey and I would hand out some, some kind of a process and say, tell me what you really want. You'd write down some things, and, and you, they might be a good list. You might have some noble things on there. But have you ever thought about this? Jesus knows what you really want. Not what you say. What you really want. And it goes to the base of who we are. You see, God knows what you need to be fulfilled in life, even if you don't. God knows what you need in life to be fulfilled, even if you don't. And desire is given by God, and it is the appetite for your hopes and your dreams. Desire is the appetite God put in you for your hopes 
and your dreams. And that's why when you have a hope and you have a dream, write it down. Lay it before God and say, God, this is what I dream about. This is what I hope for. This is what I long to see in my life, in my family, in my future. And God loves it when you do that, and God honors that. But let God sort it out. Let God separate it in such a way that it makes sense for you and where you are in life and who you're responsible for and what the kingdom is all about at the same time. What are those hopes? What are those dreams? What is that desire? Jesus takes us back and says, if you desire to follow me, here's what's going to take. Now, there's a psalm, Psalm 37 and verse 4, it says this, delight yourself in the Lord. And many of you know the rest of this. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I read that, I read the first half of it really fast. Delight yourself in the Lord. Yes, I do that. Now, let's get on to the desires of my heart, God, because I did that, check the box, I delighted in God. The idea of delighting as God is I become so content with God. So content with God. That what slips into my life is what God desires for me and allows me to walk in the will of God. If I move too quickly and I don't fully delight in God, I go so quickly into what I want. And then I ask God to bless what I want, and I bypass what God really wanted to do in my life in that idea of delighting. Look at Psalm chapter 20 and verse 4. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. May he grant you according to your heart's desire. You see how God is concerned about what you're concerned about? God loves what you love. God wants you to, to be fulfilled, and God wants you to have those heart desires come to fruition in your life. But he wants you to do it in the context of really loving him and living out that life that really is radical. Jesus said this, if anyone desires, desires, let me ask you something. Do you desire to follow Jesus? You say, well, I'm a Christian. That's not what I ask. Do you desire, desire? to come after him. You say, yes, have you denied yourself? This is really hard for us, isn't it? You know, in one part of the story, and, and Pastor Surprise's story is told in a book called uh, uh, A Voice in the Darkness. But he goes around, and, and at one point someone asks him, why do you not see all these things happening in America and Europe that you see happening there? He said, I think it's just because our faith has become so complicated. And it's not simple. It's not simple faith like a child. We say, yes, we're going to pray for your healing, but let's hear what the doctors have to say. Nothing wrong with seeking medical care at all. But we've become so educated and we have so many resources at our fingertips that God becomes the God of the last resort. I'll go to God, but, but I don't want to go there first. I want to make sure I've talked to everybody and researched everything and, and, and I've really taken every road and then if all else fails, then we're going to go to God and we're going to see what God can do and what God has to say. If you desire to come after me, it says deny, deny himself, take up your cross, follow me. Imagine how revolutionary that was. He goes up to a man, Matthew is a fisherman and he says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. 
Now imagine that. Someone walks on your job where you work and says, I want you to drop everything you're doing right now. Come and follow me. We're going to go out fishing for men. What's your immediate reaction? This guy's crazy. Jesus was so radical. He was so radical they didn't know what to do with him. He made demands that no one could really believe anyone was asking. A radical demand. Come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Leave everything you've got. We'll follow you anywhere. Are you sure? Well, you know, birds of the air, they have a nest. The fox, he has a place to live. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Oh, I'll follow you. I'll follow you anywhere. And so you will, Peter. But they will carry you where you do not want to go. And he was speaking about how Peter would die in a similar way that he died on the cross. And we see this demand, take up your cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life is going to lose it. You know what happens when you lose your life? You don't really worry about stuff. You don't really worry about it. You just say, God led us this far. We're going to keep moving down this road. A few years ago, uh, Tammy and I and our daughter, we moved to England. And uh, we were going to study there at Oxford. And so I was trying desperately to get housing before we went. And I finally just gave up. I couldn't make it happen. So I had one rule. I said, here's the rule. Everybody gets one uh, suitcase. Everybody gets one footlocker. And we're going to fly to England. We're going to take a bus over to Oxford and then get a hotel that night. And then we're going to see if we can find a place to live. Now, that may not seem real radical to you, but when you're the father and the husband and you've just told your family, we don't know where we're going to live, not even sure we can find anything because I had no luck on the internet, so let's just see what we're going to do. And that adventure is kind of exhilarating because you think, I wonder what God's going to do. You know God's going to come through in some really amazing way, but you know, in the back of your mind, what do you say? But what if he doesn't? Right? You know what I'm talking about? The human side goes, oh yeah, what if he doesn't do that? Then what are you going to do? Huh? And so, uh, so we get up the next morning and we go down to the first uh, uh, letting office. That's, where they, that's what they call rent over there, letting. They let you use their place. And I walked in and I said, we need a two-bedroom, you know, condominium, apartment, whatever you have for this time frame. And uh, she looked at me, she says, we have one that's exactly that time frame. The man's out of the country. He wanted somebody. I think you'll like it. It's brand new. It's in a gated area. And I'm thinking, how much is it? And they told me how much it was. He said, I said, it seems very inexpensive. And they said, if we find the right person, they're more than glad to let them have it that because they want it taken care of. We moved in the next day. The very next day. That, is, that strengthens your faith. Another time we were, when we were living over there, we took a train and we went over into, uh, through Berlin and then we went down into Prague and we got off the train and, uh, and we had to go through this long tunnel in Prague. And it was dark and there was every guy that could kill you in Prague had assembled in that tunnel. <laughs> it's like midnight, we're walking through it, my daughter's 12, she looks at me and she says, Daddy, I'm scared. And I said, oh, nothing to be scared about. These guys are just, they're all right. And inside of me, my voice is going, they're going to kill us all. <laughs> We're dead before we leave the tunnel, right? But I got to kind of put it on. You know, I got to put on the act a little bit. You know, like I'm in control. I'm dead. Don't worry. I, 
I, I, you know, I saw Kung Fu on TV. I'm good. That's what's going through my brain. And I had that little urge from God, you're going to be fine. And that's what I walked in. Sometimes fear will overwhelm you when you're walking by faith. But you have a little bit of faith. You have a little bit of courage. You have a little bit of strength that comes from the hand of God. Walk in it. Walk in it. A little bit of faith can move mountains, Jesus said. Great faith, well, it can move lots of mountains. But just take what faith you have and move forward in that. You see, God wants to do something great in our world. In the book of Haggai, chapter 2, and verses 6 and 7, listen to what it says. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more I will shake the heaven and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, and they will come to the desire of the nations. Who's that? The desire of the nations is who? Jesus. Everybody's going to come to Jesus, it says, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Says the Lord of hosts. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been talking to someone about some some work that we want to do uh, with the underground church in in North Korea and in China. And as I began to think about that and pray about that, and God just kind of put something on my heart that we needed an underground church experience here. So we're putting together this idea where we're going to gather together here and we're going to limit it to those people who actually get tickets to it. So you're going to have to actually sign up because it's going to be four to six hours of Bible teaching. And we're going to live stream, we're going to target some areas in North Korea and China and the underground church, and we're going to work with some contacts there, and we're going to live stream 46 hours of content of the Word of God into these countries and begin to prepare the way for what God wants to do. Already someone wants to translate all the stuff we have into Korean and into Chinese and begin to filter that into the underground church in Asia. And, and I, as I saw this scripture, I thought, this is what God wants to do. He says, I want everybody. I'm going to shake the heavens for you. I'm going to open doors for you. And I want all the world to come to the desire of the nations. And I'm going to fill the temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. And I'm excited about what God wants to do. You know, the reason we pray, the reason we fast, the reason we give is because Jesus. Just because of Jesus, that's all. We need to remember that Jesus offers you more than anybody else offers you. But he had two things. Just think about these. Jesus had two things he would ask of everyone. I want you to serve me and I want you to sacrifice. Those aren't really good American terms. Have you noticed that? Serve and sacrifice? No, 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 no. I think be served and give me. Right? That's what we want. That's kind of the American way. Yeah, if you could give me something, I'll do. Is it free? You know, you ever done one of those timeshare talks? I mean, I don't know how many of those I've been involved in. I, you know, I'm just trying to get free. That's all it is. You know, they, they meet you. Hey, would you come and, you know, do the timeshare thing? It's about two hours. No obligation to buy anything. You know, it'd be easier to buy something. I feel like they got a cattle prod on me. You know what I mean? And, and I'm sitting down there and they're talking to me and they go, uh, and I go, well, you know, I'm really not interested in it. And I just said, let me be honest with you. I just wanted a free place. I understand. And most people come here under those same conditions. I said, let me get you my supervisor, the closer, the bouncer. He shows up, you know, and he sits down and he looks you in the eye and he says, uh, family important to you? Have you been in one of these? 
I mean, this is like CIA interrogation level stuff, right? And I know my dad was in military intelligence. I got it every day. But so I'm sitting down. Family, you have family? You love your family? I do love my family. I, yes, sir, I do. Uh, don't you want to spend time with them? Yes, sir, I, I do want to spend time with him. And he's walking me down this road of deduction, right? And, and wouldn't it be great if you could all be together at the same time and sharing stuff? It would be great, yeah. And, and you see how this would be a wonderful, because, you know, you, we already know you're going to go on vacation, but why wouldn't you go here and bring your family in and, and encourage those family values, you know? And, and I'm like almost ready to sign <laughs> because he made me a great offer. Can I just tell you that Jesus has a better offer? It's called the kingdom of God. It's called eternity. Over this weekend, I will do a couple of funerals. I'll do one today. I did one yesterday. It's amazing when you you find yourself in a crowd of people where the majority of them probably don't know Christ. And he began to speak on eternity and how the entire crowd gets quiet. Because there is something in us. God has written eternity into our soul. We know there's something there. We may not know what it is and may not know how to access everything, but we know there's something inside of us that we have to cultivate, that we have to enrich. Look what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10 in verses 43 and 45. Yet it shall not be so among you. In other words, they were saying, hey, I'd like to be great, I'd like to be this, but whoever desires to become great shall be your servant. See, this is bedrock Jesus stuff. And whoever you, uh, of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. You know, we kind of throw off being a slave. We kind of throw off being a servant, don't we? We get weary of serving and doing it, and we say, well, what am I, you know, am I going to get compensated for this? Is this going to be enough? Is this... Jesus said, just serve me, serve me. Whoever desires you to be first shall be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Mark 10, 21. One thing you lack, he said to the rich young ruler, go, go your way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor, and come, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and take up your cross and follow me. And the Bible says in the next verse, he went away very sad because he was a man of great wealth. It was just too much for him to take. Too much. I was in a local coffee shop the other day, and I was standing in line. As I stood there, I watched everybody checking their iPhone. Because I was too. <laughs> I don't want to miss anything. Don't want to miss a Facebook post. Only get about 10,000 of those a day. Just got to make sure I get it. 300 emails a day. Don't want to miss that. About 100 texts a day. Don't want to miss any of those because what if I'm two minutes late seeing it? And God just kind of moved in my heart and said, what about everybody in this place soul? And my first reaction was something really radical. Get up on a chair. Hey, you're all going to hell. And it really was kind of tempting, but I thought, how do you kind of get out of that if you, once you get into it, you know? And I thought, you know, 
that's probably not going to be the most winsome thing I can do right now, but it probably would, you know, get everybody's attention for sure. So I just chose the guy in front of me. I didn't tell him he was going to hell. I said, hey, so what are you, what, what, what's going on? Anything, any news on the, on the internet right now? I'm kind of checking some things myself. Oh, no, not much. And he said something like this. This world is sure going to hell fast. Ah! Open door. Opportunity. We got the hell talk getting ready to happen right now. And I said, you know, Jesus talked a lot about hell. And then he looked at me with that look. If you've ever had that look. You know, like, oh my gosh, it's a real one. He goes, what do you mean? I said, Jesus said that if if people don't follow him and believe in him, that they could face eternal hell. And you said the world's going to hell, and I think you're right, because he said there's a broad road that leads to death. And he goes, wow. I don't think I've ever experienced this in a coffee shop before. (laughs) He said, I'm a Christian. Dang, really? He said, but you know what you did for me? You reminded me of my responsibility. Jesus rewards radicals. Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels. And watch this. And then... He will reward each according to his works. I want you to think about this right now. God wants to reward you. Every one of you. Now we're going to say it together. We're going to say it like this. God wants to reward me. Are you ready? God wants to reward me. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a what? Rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Jesus said, when I come, I'm going to reward. It says in Hebrews eleven six, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. Him. Let me ask you, let's just put the converse on that. What about those who don't diligently seek Him? No reward. Remember, unmerited favor, but never unmerited rewards. I don't know about you, I'd rather be rewarded. And I don't mean that from an egocentric kind of perspective. I would rather the favor and the blessings of God be on me than not be on me. Wouldn't you? I'd I'd love to see you blessed. You know, the Bible says in 1 Peter, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that in due season he may exalt you. Now, you see, God said that, that I I want to lift you up, but I'm going to do it as you walk humbly before me. Let me take you over to 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Now, now, now here's this picture. God is scanning the earth. As he scans the earth, what's he looking for? He's looking to show himself strong, 
I want to come into your life powerfully and mightily. I want to show myself strong on behalf of those whose heart is completely given over to God, completely loyal to God. I want to strongly support you. I want to reward you. I want to do something for you. I heard a story about a, a husband who it was an anniversary, a special anniversary for he and his wife. And he went to the jewelry store and he, he picked out a ring. Beautiful ring. It was a diamond ring. And it was, uh, I don't know, let's just say it was two carats. Two carat diamond ring. And he wrapped it all up and, and it was in one of those little fuzzy boxes. You know those little fuzzy boxes? I don't know why they have to have fuzz on those things. But they got a little fuzzy box and, and put it and wrapped it up, put a bow on it and came home and said, you know, happy anniversary. And she tore it open. She was so excited. And she took off that little cardboard sleeve. And there's that little fuzzy box. And she opens it up and she sees the ring. She takes the ring out and she throws it across the room. And she says, a fuzzy box. I've waited my whole life for this. What does it profit a man? If he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul. Every day people are taking the most precious thing. And they're throwing it away. And they're putting all their attention on the fuzzy box, on what is not going to last and what is not valuable. When we take serious the claims of Jesus Christ and we say we want to live out a radical faith for our Lord, God honors that in ways that we may not even fully understand. But here's what we want to do. We want to bring this down to, to some life applications. And the first thing is, when we think about radical, you have to have a radical understanding of what that means for you. You see, what's radical for me is not radical for you. It's different. What would it look like for you to live out a radical faith? It might just mean you're going to talk to somebody, make a commitment. I'm going to talk to somebody about their eternal soul once every week, once every month. That might be radical for you. It might be radical for you to serve and give your time when you could you use it other ways. You know, everybody says they're busy, but if you really look at our lives, we've probably got a little window of time we could give for something. A radical decision. You see, if we're going to be radical, we have to decide. We can't just say, yeah, that's a great thought. I like the idea of the radical thing, and I'm going to come back to that in another time when it seems more convenient. We have to make our, live out our life in a radical way. I have to have a radical life. I don't know about you, but I, I've just kind of done Christianity long enough. I've done church long enough. I'm kind of over it. I really am. I want to see God work, don't you? I want to see God move in my life and in your life and in our families. I want to see people healed. I want to see people saved. I want to see lives transformed by the power of God. And I think if we're all honest, we'd say maybe kind of what we've been offering the people around us and what we've been living out, maybe it's not radical enough. Maybe it's good American Christianity, but it wouldn't survive in the jungles of Mozambique. It wouldn't change anything. It just kind of gives me a little assurance that I'm going to go to heaven one day should I face death. What's radical look like to you? Can I call you to that? Can I call us to radically live out our faith? 
to begin to at least build a framework of what that might look like for you, for your family, in terms of your time, in terms of what you say, and how you present Christ? Could I ask you to do that? Could I ask you to do that? Let's stand together and pray. Father, as we, uh, as we come to a point in our life right now in this message where we have to make some decisions, we have to think, am I going to be radical for Jesus or am I just going to be what I've been? Am I going to talk to that person that I really believe needs to hear you or am I just going to hope that somebody else does? Am I going to give my time? Am I going to give my money? Am I going to give my talents? Because Jesus called me to radical living? Or am I going to just be content with an American brand of Christianity that is nice and kind of cultured and kind of works, but it really doesn't change anybody's life? I'm going to ask you right now. The lights are down. I can't see you. Nobody can see you right now, but, I, but God, I'm going to ask you to do this. If you'd like to take the first step toward living out a radical Christian life, would you just slip your hand up right now? I can't even see your hand, so don't worry about it. Just slip your hand up right now. I'm, I'd like to take the first step in trying to live a more radical Christian life. God, right now, the only person that's important in this room that I see is me. I have to make that decision. I have to come to that understanding. I have to figure out the application for me, God. And every person in this room, whether they have their hand lifted or not, has to do the same thing. We have to say, yes, I, I want to take that next step. Maybe you'd pray a prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a Christian. I believe I know you. But my brand of Christianity hasn't been real radicals. In fact, it's a long way from radical. I don't even know where to begin, but I want to take a first step toward that, God. So right now, I, I just move in that direction, God. I say, I want that, God, and empower me and give me wisdom, God. I decide today that I want to take a first step toward you. And just in your own words right now, would you just thank him in your heart? Tell him what you want to tell him. As this music begins to play and as you have an opportunity, if you so choose to go and take communion, um, you'll find it in all four corners of our building. But just think about the commitment we have to live out a radical Christian life.